EMS1.com is the number one online resource for the EMS community and authoritative voice in pre-hospital care. Our members enjoy access to exclusive content from top EMS educators and physicians, award-winning e-newsletters, original video series, member-only product discounts, access to free continuing education courses, and much more. If you're an EMS and not a member of EMS1, join the community for free today. Just go to ems1.com backslash registration. That's ems1.com backslash registration to become a member. Well, it's a lovely day in the neighborhood. It's a lovely day for a neighbor, and welcome to Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sabalero, and here is my favorite neighbor, my buddy, my friend, Kelly Grayson. KG, what's going on on your side of the world? Oh, man, I'm just I'm just putting on my cardigan and my comfortable shoes and getting ready for another day in the neighborhood. Well, I think it's time, and I think you look, that is very sporting of you. You look very, you look very <laughs> dapper in that cardigan, by the way. So I'm going to say it, Kelly. I am going to say it. As we now begin the first week of November, there are 54 shopping days till Christmas. Oh, my God. Please, no. Look, I, I refuse to think about Christmas until Thanksgiving is at least over. Okay? I mean, but if Let's you start... Turkey, but if you, I'm not... Yeah. But if you plan now, you can get your Christmas shopping done sooner instead of having to rush around at the because you seem like a last minute christmas shopping guy yeah why why put off why do today which you can put off till tomorrow <laughs> i think i think nietzsche said that didn't he yeah that's right that's right why 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 do today which you can put off till tomorrow and then the abyss stares back at you or something like that I yeah. Forget. yeah it sounds they should make that into a movie yeah so we are you know, we're, we're in the time, and now we're in November. I mean, can you believe it? Where have we gone, you know? And uh, we're going to be at the new year pretty soon. And, you know, I, I've just recognized that on my uh, on my car radio today, Sirius XM is uh, playing Christmas music. Oh, God, have mercy. I know, well, I know. This, this is why I listen to the comedy channel and the music on my iPhone. That's it. Yeah, I do the uh, comedy channels too, man. I really like that raw dog comedy. If you guys are fans of serious, like yes, said, check yes, out that raw dog comedy because there's a lot of those classics that uh, really kind of make you laugh. But anyway, I digress. So, you know, Kelly, I think we have an interesting discussion to have today. You know, you and I both, as we prep for the show uh, on the West Coast, there was a story that came out about a paramedic allegedly uh, choking a patient allegedly breaking their arm in three places and uh there was some disciplinary action with a police officer who was in the compartment with the paramedic that may not have reported the alleged abuse but that's not what I, really what i want to talk mm -hmm. about today i mean when we think about the work that we do as paramedics and we think about the work that we do as emts the discussion i want to have for you today kelly is in our career, I'm sure that you and I have seen, maybe we've even done some things that shouldn't have been done in patient care. And we've always kind of kept, uh, you know, kind of mum on protecting our partners or our partners or our partners protecting us and things maybe uh -huh. we should done or shouldn't do or how we did it. And my question to you is, 
is this the way that it's always supposed to be? Or are we supposed to now be at a time where we take a stand to say, this is not professional care. This is not in the best interest of the patient. And you can't do that. And if I see you doing it again, I'm going to have to report you. We, we've kind of been closed-lipped when it comes mm-hmm. to doing things and handling things inside the cab of the ambulance. But the question I have for you to start this discussion is, when is that not okay? Well, that's not okay uh, when it extends to harming another person, uh, even if the harm is only temporary. You know, if, if what you're doing uh, is not patient care, um, and and is is retaliatory or is harmful, uh, willfully harmful to a patient. Uh, the old adage of what happens on the truck stays on the truck does not apply. I, I don't think we have any moral obligation uh, to protect our partners when they're doing wrong, or to protect police officers when they're doing wrong. And and police officers uh, also have no obligation to protect us and to have our backs when we're doing wrong. You know, I work with cops and, and firefighters and EMTs all the time. That's that's my job. And I'm going to have their back um, when when things get hairy. But that doesn't extend to to willful wrongdoing. And, and you know, I, I can't I can't even claim that the ivory tower status that I've never done that before. I have um, done some harmful things to patients many, many years ago. On purpose? I, I, well, no, it wasn't harmful. It was just me being a dick, plain, plain and simple. It, I, I could justify it uh, with, uh, you know, under under patient care, um, but it was just me being a dick. It wasn't necessary. It was risky for the patient, and it wasn't really. It, it wasn't called for. I, I can. I'll tell you the the story. Um, many years ago, when I was a, a fairly new paramedic, a guy overdosed on something in the parking lot of a local motel and woke us up at 1030 at night to go take care of his ignorant self. And I intubated him, even though he was breathing well. I mean, the guy had a good oxygen saturation and everything. This was 25 years ago, but he was breathing adequately, but he also had a GCS of less than eight. And I tubed him. And uh, a cop on scene said, whoa, does he really need an endotracheal tube? And I said, smirking. Uh, no, but he darn sure deserves one and got a good laugh out of the, uh, out of the cops at that. And only, only long after the fact, when I matured as a, as a provider and, and as a man, uh, did I realize just how over the line that was. And, and, you know, I regret having done it. Uh, but yeah, I pushed Narcan on that guy punitively to ruin his high. Uh, and I did it after I intubated him, knowing that when we wake him up, he's going to have a chunk of PVC between his vocal cords that he didn't have to have have there. Uh, and it was going to be exceedingly unpleasant for him once I gave the Narcan. And, and I accomplished my goal. Now, I could say that the man was overdosed on Narcan. Uh, I mean, the man was overdosed on opiates and, and needed the Narcan. And a lot of people even today will try to wake up a, a uh, an overdose patient who's still breathing effectively. Uh, and a lot of people today will still say uh, GCS less than eight intubate. Um, but I knew in my heart that it wasn't necessary and I was doing it because I was being a jerk uh, and the patient didn't need it. Um, had the, the cop chosen to uh, chosen to um, uh, report me for that behavior, I, at the time I would have probably thought he was, he was uh, being a, a, a wimp 
and uh, wouldn't have trusted him after that. And looking back on it with in retrospect, uh, I'd have had to respect what he did because uh, what I did was was uncalled for. Yeah, and I, I, just in fairness, I think that I've had some of those, you know, some of those situations where, as you were talking, it brought me back to a time where, you know, I've, I've, I studied martial arts since I was 14 mm-hmm. years old, and, you know, I have two black belts, I have one brown belt, I was trained in the military in hand-to-hand combat, and there were times when we'd have an aggressive patient that, uh, you know, I would, I would manipulate their wrist or the joint manipulation in their wrist or grab a pressure point that would incapacitate them mm-hmm. that I can get them on the stretcher. And, you know, that was certainly, you know, justifying it by saying that, uh, you know, I was protecting myself. I was protecting my partner. I was protecting the patient. But again, it really goes to the fact of me being a guy that wasn't small. Uh, you know, I had mm-hmm. a, a good amount of size to me, um, you know, muscle wise, but I reverted back to something that would have been incapacitating more than it would have been, um, you know, helpful. And, uh, you know, you do, you do think to yourself, you know, I took the easy way out and I probably inflicted mm-hmm. pain that I didn't need to, yeah. but, but now that we're there and now that we both admitted that we've made those, you know, mistakes as we've gone through our career, mm-hmm. the question though comes to us, Kelly, is when do we, when do we have to be able to stand up and and not have our partners back to say you went over the line but now that we start to think about you know this particular case that happened you know last year in 2017 you know it's now coming to light now that somebody is going to be charged with three felonies because of that if i didn't report you i'm culpable in that as well mhm and and the next person, if that behavior is not curtailed, who's to say that that doesn't, you know, that doesn't happen with uh, another patient down the line? Um, it, that sort of thing needs to be spoken out against and and reported whenever it happens. Um, you can't tell me that a paramedic woke up that morning and said, you know what, the next patient that that uh, spits on me or or, or uh, or tries to hit me, I'm going to beat the snot out of that. That sort of thing does not happen in a vacuum. That sort of thing is now it may be someone who is burnt out and, and disillusioned and, and they're in a bad mental frame of mind. Anyway, we can all relate to people who have, uh, to, to those people. Um, but it didn't just happen that, that sort of thing was brewing. You can't tell me that that sort of, uh, that that behavior, there weren't flags, uh, before that happened, um, be that, be it that call or, or another call. No one just all of a sudden just decides to snap and retaliate and, and, uh, and abuse physically, uh, assault a patient. Um, it, there were precursors to it that were either missed or ignored. So, so when do we step in and say, Hey man, this is not cool. I don't know what kind of mental space you're in right now. Uh, but you can't do that. And if I see you do it ever again, I'll, uh, I'll report you or yeah, but stop, stop right there. Stop Stop right there though. Okay. So now we've made that comment to our partner that says, if I see you do that again, there's going to be some challenges here you know, we're going to have a problem you and And I, and I've got to report it. But at what point do you not report it that you now become complicit in something that you should have reported is my point. 
and some of them are bad enough that the, you sh- you shouldn't even give them that choice. All right. Know? Well, let me that let me. That wasn't cool, uh, and, and I'm not going to stand behind you on this. All right. Well, let me flip the coin on you now. Okay. Let me give mm-hmm. you this question, and this is we're now going to get on a slippery slope here yeah. because in this story, and again, we're not we're not talking about the story. We're talking about the surroundings to say how do we how do we learn from this that we're able now to to change the paradigm of how we do work and how we interact with our partners and how we interact mm-hmm. with our first responder peers. In the story that we're referencing, the rookie police officer was terminated because he didn't report this. And you and I have seen our peers in the police department and in the fire Mm -hmm. department maybe have done things to patients that we didn't talk about. When do we cross that thin blue line to say that, I don't know that the behavior of this officer was appropriate and uh, maybe he took things a little bit too far, Uh, or in this case, when we have a police officer who allegedly mutes his body camera to protect the paramedic i mean where is that i mean when do we start to think about that i mean now we get into a very very slippery slope to say you know what you know i saw this police officer do something he shouldn't have done and and i've been i've been on those calls man and i've kept my mouth shut on things that maybe i should have said something but at what point is it culpable that we're not bringing that stuff forward and and then even moreover how do we do that without losing the protection of our first responder peers because we saw something that we saw that shouldn't have happened and we talked about it? Well, um, <laughs> if, it were, if it were easy to display moral courage and do the right thing every time, um, uh, we wouldn't even be having this conversation because uh, it would it kind of go without saying. Um, that's, a, you know, that's a big risk that people take. But it's... Um, <laughs> There's never a wrong time to do the right thing. I don't think in, in reading this story, for example, I can I can put myself in that position uh, of that of that paramedic. I can put myself in that position of that rookie police officer who has been told, you know, I'm sure he was, uh, you know, at the academy. It was it was beaten into his head. You, you have your brother officers back. You, you watch my back. I'll watch yours. And that sort of thing. And, and the, the thin blue line is very, very bright when you're a rookie, I would imagine. Um, and and he's also uh, probably cognizant of the fact that, you know, if, if he gets injured, it's, it's a paramedic in, in that city who's going to be taking care of him. And he wants to, to be on good terms with him. We've all been in that situation. Um, and in reading the story... I could I can see where there'd be some ambiguity there. Now, yes, the patient... To, for example, the the uh, paramedic is alleged to have broken the patient's arm in three places. Um, it's you got to put some serious torque on somebody to break their arm, but it can happen uh, during the, the the course of restraining someone. I accidentally uh, dislocated three of a patient's fingers one time trying to restrain them, uh, and, and the police officer on that call probably uh, did some harm to his knee. Um, you know, but he wasn't doing it willfully. And we were literally trying to keep ourselves from uh, from getting hurt uh, by a violent patient. Um, you know, I reported what I had done uh, and told the ER staff that the man's hand needed x-rays and, and that uh, 
uh, I had dislocated his fingers in the, in the, uh, the tussle, but you know, that, that's one of those looking back on it. I probably, if I had had the training you had had, uh, martial arts training, I, I could have probably pulled that, uh, a little bit or, or, or known, uh, more appropriately what degree of force to use and, and avoided dislocating his fingers. I went too far with it. Uh, but I can see how that would happen. But I also think that it's when you see something that's just egregious and it is no longer um, defending yourself or trying to legitimately restrain a patient and it's your anger talking and you, you, you're hitting back. Uh, I don't think there's any question in most providers' mind uh, when that line is crossed. Uh, we remember the story uh, a, a few months back of the paramedic who who was punching a patient and screaming bloody murder at him uh, after he spit on her. Uh, this was a restrained uh, psychiatric patient, a teenager who spit on the, the paramedic and she just snapped and, and started wailing on him. In this case, the officer did the right thing. He reported her, he called her out for her behavior and, and she by God needed to be called out for her behavior. Uh, that sort of thing does not fly. And, and, and I think you can, the line is not as, as blurry as we might think it is. Anyone can look at, a, at, at that video and tell that that was over the line. Um, the, the incident in, in Glendale uh, a few years back where the, the patient struck out at a, uh, at a firefighter and the, the stretcher got overturned and you could hear the firefighters on camera uh, um, threatening the guy and cursing him, telling him he's dead and, and you're dead, man. I'm going to, you know, and, and and verbally abusing him while they're wailing on him. Uh, all that sort of thing was obviously over the line. I don't think that that, that line between uh, appropriate restraint and self-defense and inappropriate behavior uh, is as blurry as we might think. The question is, is uh, are we going to risk uh, the ostracism and retaliation in reporting that? Um, I would like to think that at this stage in my career, um, I would have the moral courage to do that. But, but Chris, you know, and you're, you've been in, uh, a paramedic for 25 plus years. Uh, you're secure enough in, in, uh, in your career that, that you probably be able to do that too. But when you're a brand new paramedic and you're still trying to fit in and find your place in the profession and, and earn some respect among your peers, is it as easy? No. I don't know. I, I, it's not as easy in my mind, um, but it still should be done. And I think as the, the elders in the profession, uh, we, we probably need to be taking a pretty hard stand on that. What is and what is not acceptable. But I think that even goes now. You and I have had a lot of discussion about the the training process for first responders, mm-hmm. training process, training process for EMTs and paramedics. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that we are not trained to handle. I mean, we, we've no. got to be able to. You know, our, our good friend Kip T. Sort does a great job of teaching self-defense when it comes to keeping yourself safe. But mm-hmm. we're not taught, really, on how to restrain a patient. We're not taught on the proper ways of de-escalation of a patient. We're not taught, you know, the the, the mental how to deal with the mental challenges of having to report a, uh, a colleague or having to report a peer for behavior that they were exhibiting. And, you know, this, this story, I mean, I, I read a lot of stories on, you know, on the wires about, you know, the EMS career field and you and I, you know, decide what we're going to talk about. But I got to tell you, this was just a story that when I read it kind of stuck with me 
and really kind of gave me an aha moment to say, man, how culpable do we want to be in the practice of patient abuse? Um, I, I, I think not reporting it would, uh, not reporting it when it's obvious to you makes you culpable. Uh, and, and there's no, I, I don't think we can equivocate on that. Uh, if you see something that that you felt was wrong, then you owe it to the profession, to the patient, uh, and to your partner to address that situation right then, and if need be, report it. Um, and, and you know, uh, it's a it's a it's an ethical quandary. Uh, I will admit, uh, but it's something that needs to be done. Uh, it, it's fundamentally, it's no different noticing that your partner is abusing drugs or alcohol, you know, and that sort of thing. Or, or uh, you notice that he's got booze on his breath when he comes to work. That's only, that's only hurting himself though. I mean, I, no, I, but it's still hurting anybody else. If he is right. impaired while he's driving and while he's, while he's working on patients, yeah, you know that as well as I do, but it, it fundamentally it's, it's no different than that sort of situation. The hard part is not recognizing uh, the behavior for what it is. The hard part is summoning the, the courage to actually say something about it. Uh, I'll, I use a, uh, uh, I do an eth- ethics exercise in my, uh, in my um, EMT classes. So what would you do in this sort of situation? Uh, and, and it always generates some, some robust uh, discussion and, and sometimes even some, some pretty nasty arguments. Uh, you're called to a, to a, uh, uh, residence where a SWAT team has made entry, uh, and you're called to to uh, render aid to to some shooting victims. And as you walk through the door, the lead man in the stack, uh, the SWAT officer, uh, has taken a round of the forehead, and his brains are visible, and he is DOA. Uh, five feet away is a flex cuffed patient prone on the ground uh, with two holes in his chest who is still alive. Who do you work on? You know, and you're going to find, well, I'm not going to work on some freaking drug dealer. I'm going to work on the cop. Well, obviously, the cop's obviously dead. You're going to work on a dead person and leave a live person there. And they, well, you know, they they had to be. And and you'll have people who will defend it and say the guy had to have done something wrong to to uh, have the SWAT team uh, kick in his door. Um, I'm not going to waste a whole lot of effort and time on that guy. And then I pull up the news story of the SWAT officers who. Uh, who entered the wrong house and the homeowner, um, they did a no knock warrant. The homeowner opened fire when someone kicked in his front door, as you would do. Um, and, and they took him down and it was the wrong house. The guy was totally innocent. Uh, the, it's pretty obvious what you're supposed to do. Uh, the question is, is do you have the moral courage to actually do that and deal with the fallout from the other people who don't uh, agree with your decision? I, I don't know, Chris. All I can say is that at this point in my career, I think that I can make the right decision and I hope that I can influence people who are still waffling on that decision to do the right thing. Uh, people who maybe not as secure in their, in their decision-making process as I am. Uh, um, I'd, I'd stand up to it, you know, and I would report it, but Hey, that's what we think. It's a tough, tough ethical decision. What do you do? When you see some wrongdoing going on, 
Do you sweep it under the rug? Do you talk to your partner about it? Do you talk to the cop about it and say, hey, that's not cool, don't do it again? Or do you just go straight and report it? Uh, what would you do? We'd like to hear your thoughts on the issue. Email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Sevalero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.